Please be seated, everyone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you are the great I am, that there is nothing, nothing that is out of your power or reach. You are almighty and sovereign God over all things. Lord, we believe that in this world you are making all things new, that you are reconciling all things to yourself, and we praise you today as we gather and as we sing that we are reconciled to you through the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, might our, might our worship continue to always be before you. And now as we open your word, might you bless the reading of your word. Might you help us to look intently into your word, reveal our hearts, remove from us any wickedness that is in us, Fill us with your righteousness that we might live for your good purposes in this world, for your glory. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, um, if not, you can follow on the screens where there's a Bible in front of you. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is where we'll be reading this morning. We're going to focus on Colossians 1, verse 18, um, the, the very last part of that verse. Um, Man, what a, just like pause for a minute, what a great service we've had so far today of being able to see the baptisms and the testimonies. Yeah. I feel like I don't have a lot to do here for the rest of this time. So, um, I, <clears throat> but in this, God is doing a great work. And really, the, the whole, before we read the text, the, the whole point of today's sermon, just so you know, if you want to know at the end because you don't know when I'm done, is the whole point is that I really believe in a day in which we live that there's this story, um, the narrative that our world sees as far as Christianity goes is multifaceted. Uh, one is the one that we portray as believers. Um, the people that know you make assumptions about Christianity, make assumptions about the faith because of the story that you tell about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But there's also a narrative and a story that's imposed upon us. The media, social media, all kinds of things creates a narrative that says this is what Christians are. That can be positive or negative or misconstrued. It can be a narrative that Christians are angry, bitter people. It can be a narrative that says that that, that Christians are are naive and dumb and not very intelligent people. Um, have you anybody heard any of these narratives in, in our world, right? And, and so it's, it's a bit of a challenge. And, and what I would say is that as I've watched and stood here today, testimonies and baptism, I know these four guys really well that stood up here, our worship, even looking out, knowing many of you in the room, that there is a new narrative, I believe, and a narrative that we need to proclaim more and more, and it's a narrative of transformation. It's a narrative that says that Jesus Christ is the one who deeply saves and changes a heart. And when I believe in the transformative work of Jesus Christ and what he's done, changing me and growing me, it changes how things work in my life. Example, there's, there's some people in, in the room that um, we have, a, we have a, a meal ministry here. You may not know this. In, in this meal ministry, there's a group of people that come together, and if, if there's a death in a family or whatever, we, that they oftentimes will put on you know, a meal after services. Now, I don't know if you've been around church a lot, but it really matters. Now, that's a really nice thing to do, but it also could be like a really bad thing, and I'll tell you how it could be a really bad thing. 
is if the people that did it weren't very nice and weren't transformed by the person of Jesus, right? Because the second a family asks, hey, could you do this? And their response is, no, we don't do that. We already have the meal planned. And they act in a way that didn't honor Christ and didn't honor the Lord. It would actually be a ministry that actually portrayed our Savior and us in a very poor and negative way. Now, Peggy McLean is like the kindest, nicest, go, she's not in this service, so I'm using it in this one, go the extra mile kind of a person that portrays our Lord and us as a body so incredibly well. Yesterday, we did a hammer and nails project, and we painted a house uh, in kind of South Canton Perry area. And I got to hang out with 25 of us or so that, like, when we worked, it wasn't just this job that we went and did. Again, it could have been a really negative thing, right? We could have been super bitter and upset that it just rained and everything was really wet and we had to wipe off the gutters and everything wasn't set up just right. And we could have portrayed our Savior in a really negative light in a negative way, even though we were doing good. But there was a group of people that showed up and were servant-hearted and did whatever and really portrayed us chapel, but more importantly, our Savior Jesus very, very well. There's four men that stood on the stage, and I am confident, confident, confident in the character of their heart and the transformation that Jesus has done, that they will represent him well anywhere in the world that God sends them, right? And there, what, 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 I'm, what I'm saying this morning, and I, I, think, I think most of us would agree upon this, that there's a new narrative that, that really needs to spring up. It is springing up in our hearts, and it, and it begins with, with Jesus Christ at the very center of our lives and everything we do spurring off of him as the greater love, the greater affection, the one that we desire love to honor more than anyone else in life. So let's read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, this is now speaking of Jesus. Little note about your pastor. I love the book of Colossians. I love the whole Bible. I love Colossians. Colossians is all about Jesus. So Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. By the way, I am not the lead pastor at the chapel in North Canton. Jesus Christ is the lead pastor. He is our head. He is the one in whom we follow. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in this text, what we see is this kind of, this exposition of who the person of Jesus is. And just to run through it really fast, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ was at the foundations of the world, present with the Father. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was at the beginning, and he will be at the end. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will move him. He is the beginning and the end. He, was, he is the image of the invisible God. God incarnated, came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. And so then it continues. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities... 
All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He, our Father, our Savior, Jesus, the, the Trinity in one, they are holding all things in this world together. He is the head of the body. I said this, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead. Jesus was the first one to be risen from the dead as a perfect sacrifice that we will have hope of rising ourselves from the dead into the presence of the Father. Then in everything, he might be preeminent, superior, first. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The peace came doesn't say in this text that peace came by our good works, by keeping the law. Peace did not come by loving our neighbor. Peace did not come by loving God. Peace came through Jesus Christ's blood being poured out on the cross. So in this text, maybe the big idea, I believe, is found in Colossians 1.18, say 1.18b, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what I pose to us today, the way that we create a new narrative as Christians in our world and as we live is that we make a statement in our lives, a confessional statement, that I desire for Jesus Christ to be the preeminent one, the one who is superior over all things in my life. And this is a thing that we can say as a church, but at the individual level, all of us uniquely, individually have to proclaim this in our own hearts and lives, that I desire Jesus to be preeminent, to be superior. And I believe that when we do that, it'll, we'll see this in three ways. Now, in these three ways, um, we, we, it starts with our mind, it moves into our speech, and it moves into our actions. But in order for him to be preeminent in our mind, in our speech, in our actions, I believe we might need to do a little bit of back work. So quickly, Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. See, I believe that what Jesus is doing in this world and in our lives and way back in the prophet of, prophet of old, Habakkuk, that, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the water covers the seas. I believe that God's desire for Northeast Ohio is that his glory would cover Northeast Ohio. His glover, glory, what was that? His glory would cover... Glover, that's glory and cover together, new word. Um, but his glory would cover Stark County as the water covers the sea. And that happens when you and I embrace simply saying, I desire for Jesus to be preeminent in my life, that he is superior to all other things. And so how do we do this? Well, I believe first we must be a gospel people, driven in all that we do to center our lives on the one who gave his life for us, Jesus Christ, the King of kings. Jesus is the King of kings. There is no ruler, there is no authority that will ever be or ever has been or ever will be greater than him. All knees will bow and all knees will answer to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He put all things in the motion and he will tell them when to cease. He is all powerful and almighty. Church, I don't know if you hear me, but we're told a whole different message that everyone else is controlling this world. He is the Alpha and Omega. 
Can I get an amen? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the doorway to heaven, that there is no way to enter into the presence of heaven but through the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the entry point. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through the person of Jesus Christ. There is not multiple ways up the mountain. There is only one. It is by bowing our knees down to the person of Jesus and making him Savior and Lord. He is the doorway to heaven. He is the reconciler of rebels that every one of us in this room has sinned and defiled against a holy God. And we need to be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus. Every person in this room, whether you like it or not, you have rebelled against God and you have chosen a way at some point in time in your life that did not honor, did not glorify him. As Adam and Eve said, thanks for making me. No thanks for telling me how to live. We do it all the time in our lives and living in rebellion, and we are rebels who have a reconciler, and the reconciler is the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the true king who reigns and rules. He is the Lord of lords. And what I'm, I'm kind of posing as we look into this text is, Jesus must be the center of our lives and the center of our faith, and everything else must come from the person of Jesus. He is the starting point of mission. He is the starting point of us being a family. He is the starting point of where I hold my positions in society. He is my beginning point of how I love my wife. He is the beginning point of how I parent my children. He is the beginning point of how I am a citizen. He is my beginning point of how I am a neighbor. He is my beginning point. Are you with me? On and on and on. He is the motivator of my soul my actions, and my life. And I believe this is the new narrative that needs to be created, that Jesus is the preeminent one in my heart and my life more than anything else. So, first, we see in the text, I believe, that we may need to make Christ, and how do we make him preeminent over all things? Well, here's my simple way of seeing that. We need to have preeminence of Christ in our minds. We need to have preeminence of Christ in my mind it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. I don't know if you know this, but every, every one of us in this room needs to constantly be renewed in our minds, in our heads, how we think, in our hearts, of where our affections are, my thoughts, my knowledge, the cross. I need to go deeper into these things. Tim Keller kind of a, a very kind of famous, um, he's at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York and prolific writer, said this about the cross, that the cross is this thing that most people in the world see it as a very, very bitter thing. And many people reject the cross because it is so bitter. To think that a man had to die on a cross and his blood to be poured out to cover the sins of humanity just seems brutal. It seems unbelievable. And it seems maybe even to those that are educated, uneducated, it can't be that simple. Tim Keller would say about this, that unless you taste the bitterness of the cross, you'll never taste the sweetness of the cross. Now, there are those in this room that you know the sweetness of the cross because you've tasted the bitterness of the cross, because the cross is very bitter, or another way to say it, the cross is very offensive. 
Because what the cross says to each and every one of us is you are not sufficient. That you are not acceptable. That your life is stained and tainted. And without someone coming and living a perfect life and its blood being poured out, you could not, cannot be made right with God. And so those who have bit into the cross and you've actually thought about it, the implications of your Savior, flesh being ripped from the back of his head to the bottom of his heels, nails going through his hands and his feet, dragging a cross up a hill that most men would be out of breath even walking up for you and for me. There's a bitterness in the cross. We say when we take communion, it's this crazy thing of deep sadness and great joy because the bitterness of the cross reveals how sinful I am. Why were there tears in the baptistry today? Because of the reconciliation found in the cross. So there's this bitterness, yet it's so sweet that my God would love me so much that he would send his one and only son into this world to die for me. The preeminence of Christ in my mind is living, recognizing that Jesus Christ came and paid a penalty I could not pay on my own. I promise you, when you live there with Christ on your mind, you will live in a humble and kind and peaceful way in this world while you stand firm on truth. When we begin to think that somehow we've achieved this on our own, that if everyone would be like us, this world would be a better place, is when we become prideful and arrogant and we create a different narrative. We must be a people that center our life on Jesus and never, ever, ever forget the bitterness and the sweetness of the cross. The preeminence of Christ in our minds. This is so, so important. Next, we must see the preeminence of Christ in our speech. The preeminence of Christ in our speech, it says in, in Luke 6, 43 through 45, for, for no good tree bears fruit, bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Now, this is speaking of people. Obviously, this is illustrative that Jesus is saying this. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. Um, no, notice these things. These are kind of these asinine statements. This is crazy. No way, of, no way fruit would come from either of these things. But says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil produces, treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, we see this all the time, and maybe this is a clear way to see it in our lives. When someone's in a relationship that is abusive in their life, what do they say about the person who is abusive and mean and ugly? It's really not that bad. It's really, really good in his heart. He just does these things. And all of us watching say, no, he's bad, he's evil. It's not true. His heart is displaying his wickedness. His heart isn't good. His heart is bad, and he needs a Savior to redeem him, to give him a new heart. I mean, I don't know about you. That's what I scream. And we know this to be true, but somewhere in here, this cultural thing has creeped in that we, we somewhere kind of believe everybody's good. And I'm just going to tell you, like the Scripture says, there's none good. There's none righteous. No, not one. 
And there is not a goodness inside of our heart outside of the person of Jesus Christ giving us a new heart and redeeming us and restoring us. And so the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And that's out of the abundance of our mouth the heart speaks. Now this might be a hard truth this morning for some, but who you are probably with your family and with those closest to you is actually what is true inside of your heart. I don't know if that hurts or if that's confirming. I hope it's both in this room. It probably is. But what comes out of us is what's in us. You know, in this great battle that we face, I, I know I do and I believe you do, this battle I face in this world, there's all kinds of opposition against me, but one of the greatest opposing things to Ryan Johnston is Ryan Johnston. I have this deep love of myself that I have been trying to kill since I came to know Jesus Christ. The old preachers would call it the old man. And letting the new man come to life more and more and more in our hearts and our lives. And I find that out of my mouth, typically what I boast in is what I value. Now, Hall of Fame weekend is coming, and some of you know this about me. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Um, and it's been, you know, a wonderful journey. Oh, Bears fan, whatever, Donnie. Worst. And, uh, and so, actually, I'm going to make one worse. And so, um, and so in, in, in this, it's been great being a Packers fan over the years. Since 1992, we've had two quarterbacks. Anyway, Browns fans, there you go. And so, um, uh, and so, so Brett Favre, um, 1992, came from the Atlanta Falcons, and he was our quarterback. He's going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to be there. It's going to be really fun right? I am now a Brett Favre fan again, but I'm, I need to tell you a little bit of my journey with Brett Favre, because um, Brett and I have been on a bit of an emotional roller coaster over the last few years. So Brett was my favorite quarterback. I mean, it just of all time, I got the jersey, kids had the jerseys, and then um, he, he made this terrible choice in his life, and he came in and out of retirement 14 times, and in that... Um, Deb, Deb can attest to this. I told her when we got married, you can have any color in the house but purple, right? Because at that time, Green Bay and the Minnesota Vikings were like, if you were a Green Bay fan, you really, really didn't like the Minnesota Vikings. Still don't. Um, <clears throat> and so, so Brett Favre went to the Jets, and then he went to the Vikings. And there was this game, right? There was a game. It was a game of games where Brett Favre came back to Lambeau Field in purple, Right? And it just seemed so wrong. And in my heart of hearts, I wanted Brett Favre to possibly be injured in that game. Right? It was just like, I cannot believe that you're playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Right? And, and so let's look inside of Ryan's heart. I know this is silly, but what was going on in my heart? I wanted to boast in our victory. Right? I wanted to boast that Brett Favre made the biggest mistake that he'd ever made of retiring, coming out of retirement, that he should have stayed away, he should have played, and Green Bay would crush him. Now, what ended up happening in all the games that we played against Brett Favre over that time, he won more games than we won, and that game he won, which, you know, I was in deep, you know, depression for two weeks after this game. It was terrible. But, but inside of my heart, and I think in our lives, what we speak of, what we root for, what we cheer for, right, it's it, the boast of our hearts inside of us deeply is this, is this selfishness. What I wanted to do to all my Viking fan friends is say, see, Brett Favre, isn't that great? I wanted to go down this whole road because I wanted to be right. I wanted Ryan to be okay. That's the whole idea of fandom, right, Donnie? The reason I want the, the Packers to sweep the Bears is because I want victory over Donnie this year in some <laughs> form or fashion, 
But, but I, I would say in our own lives that think about the things that you boast in in life. And the things that we boast in are really the things that, that have our hearts more than we know. If the first time you run into a guy and you say, hey, this is my profession, this is what I do, this is the kind of money I make, that boast probably is not just something, it's something that is deeper, it's an over-desire in my heart. That's really what Galatians 5 talks about, not a lust. It's, the Greek word for that is, is not just lust, it's this over-inordinate desire in my heart. I kind of tell the story about, I might have had an over-inordinate desire in my heart with football, which is a true thing we can do. But, but in our hearts, what is it? Galatians 6.14, Paul will kind of sum up the whole book. He says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I believe for us to be a people that create a new narrative is a people to say that I am going to boast in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone because at the end of the day, it's the only thing I have to boast in. Because football is going to fade, money is going to fade, cars are going to fade, houses are going to fade, kids are going to fade. Everything's going to fade in life. And I'm going to boast in the one thing that will never fade, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. So the question, I think, that, that is imposed upon us is, what is it that you boast in? I believe whatever comes out of your mouth most displays our heart most. What comes out of the mouth is from the heart. For Christ to be preeminent in our speech is much more than just talking about Jesus. It's about kindness and grace and mercy and encouragement coming from our heart into the lives of others, boasting in him, loving him, and living for him. And the third is the preeminence of Christ in our actions, and this is last. It says, but be doers, in, in James 1, through 25, it's on the screen, it says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at, at, at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be, he will be blessed in his doing. It is not good enough for us in this room to know something. You've probably heard me say this before. I, I can tell you I know about being a good husband. I can preach a sermon on the 10 reasons of what it means to be a good husband. I can, I can write a book, right, on what it means to be a good husband and write at length on each thing of my points of what it means. But if you see me with my wife and I'm arrogant and I'm selfish and I'm rude, and I'm self-serving, it is not enough to know something. I must act upon something. Forever in the church, we've kind of highlighted, oh, that guy really knows his Bible. He must be a godly man. It is not enough for you to know your Bible. That doesn't say anything about you. Some of the, some of the meanest people I've met in my life know the most about the Scriptures. Some of the most... Some of the greatest atrocities done in humanity have been people who herald their knowledge of the scriptures. What I would say, the new narrative that we create is not just simply about knowing something, although I believe knowing it is really, really important to, to know him and to seek him. But knowing is not enough. We must act upon that which we know. The preeminence of Christ in our actions. A good friend of mine was um, we, we spent this time with this guy named Herb Hodges, and Herb was this, this really godly guy, and he discipled 
literally, there's, there's a sign of him that showed that he discipled like 10,000 men kind of in his downline of life in India. I mean, just Herb was this incredible guy that I got to spend time with um, when I was in seminary. And Herb had came into our staff team and he taught us. And, and as he taught us, it was fantastic. And a friend of mine walked up to him afterwards and he said, and Herb was like 128 years old, something like that. And, you know, he had spots all over his face. And he, he was so wise. And I always joked when he paused, I said, Brother Herb, I, I didn't know if you died or not. Like, you know, like, he always laughed about it. But, but Ed walks up to him after he taught. And he said, Brother Herb, um, all that that you talked about, he said, Brother, that'll preach. Now, you don't, might not know a preacher lingo, but that's like, hey, that was awesome. All right, I'll translate that. And Brother Herb puts his, he, he, he pushes his, his glasses down to the end of his nose and he looks over at Ed and he goes, Ed, wasn't made to preach, right? And it was this moment where Ed just felt like, you know, like this big. The, the, this content of this book, it wasn't made to preach, right? It was made to live. And what Herb was saying to him is, Ed, you can talk about discipleship all day long and now Ed is a discipler and he's a great guy and I think he was misunderstood. But the point being, is that this isn't made to preach. This isn't made to just talk about in our holy huddles. This is to live out in the everyday spaces and places of our lives. And to make Christ preeminent isn't just about my head, but it's about taking this and putting it into place in my actions and in my life. And so in everything, Colossians 1.18, that in everything Christ might be preeminent, what does it mean for you and me to make Christ preeminent in every facet of our life, in our minds, in our speech, in our actions, in anything else and everything else in between. So what do you say, church? I believe what Christ is asking us to do in regards to media, in regards to the narrative, the story that is being proclaimed, is for us to be a people that write a new narrative, that tell a new story, that tell a different story of a Savior who loves a Savior who is kind and is gracious, a Savior who is full of truth. And there are certain things that he holds to, and there are certain things that he loves, and there are certain things that he hates. To be honest in our lives of letting him be preeminent in our minds and letting his love for us flow out of us into others. Letting our speech reflect that of what has changed inside of us. Letting his love and his grace move out of our lips into the lives of others, and letting our actions be actions that portray Jesus well. So to say this, I believe that there's a lot of people in the room today that are like, right on, Ryan. Like, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to do. Right on? Yeah. Amen, I hope. But I believe there's some <clears throat> that you may not hear this sermon because you're too steeped in your religious activity that you'll continue to miss the person of Jesus over and over and over again in your life. I believe there's some in this room that you're so, so firm on your positions and what, and I don't even know what that is, I don't even want to go into it, but you've ceased to be transformed at some point in your life. You've forgotten about how far you were from God and how much Jesus has done to reconcile you to him. I believe there's some of us 
The scripture says that our hearts can grow so hard because we have ceased to take action for so long that we don't even hear it anymore. And so for those of you in the room that are like right on, like let's run after this together. And those in the room that maybe, maybe even just in that moment, maybe you said, maybe that's me. Maybe my heart's hard. Maybe some of you are like, crap, I don't know. I don't know where I am. I just said that word. Maybe you don't. You're like, I don't want a hard heart. Maybe this morning you come down and kneel and just say, God, I want you to be preeminent. Jesus, I want you to be preeminent in my life. Maybe the one that you know your heart's become hard because of your, your lack of action, your lack of, of love for your Savior. And maybe for others that you're just like, I, I want him to be preeminent in my mind, in my heart, in my words, in my actions. But I believe that together we can create a new story, a new narrative. We don't let the news channels, the media, social medias define us, but we define ourselves within our social circles of who Jesus is and what he's done. That as the chaplain in North Canton, that there really is a greater narrative that says, hey, the people in North Canton, they, and they love Jesus so much. I believe that is part of the narrative and the culture that is in our world, that is in our city, I hope, today that he is the epicenter of everything we believe, and from him we do all that we do. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing, if you'll bow with me now. Father, we, we love you, and we believe that you came, Jesus, that you died, that you rose, that you sit on high. Lord, we believe that all over our world, Lord, there's just confusion about who you are, Jesus, and we believe that's not by chance. We believe that's what the evil one does is confuses and blurs lines. But Lord, it is clear to us, Jesus, that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You have reconciled us rebels to you, that we are new in you, and that without you, Jesus, we have no hope at all. And so, Lord, would you allow our gratefulness for you to drive our speech, to drive our desire to to have our minds reformed and shaped by you alone. That you would allow our actions, our obedience to flow out of our lives daily in response to your word and your truth. Lord, give us firm convictions and give us a heart that loves you most. Lord, for the person with the hard heart, soften it, please, today. Help them to live in your freedom and your grace. Lord, for the person that's in between that doesn't know where they are, give them the ability just to to come before you this morning and say, Jesus, I believe that you are superior, preeminent, and I bow my life to you. Might you be preeminent in my mind, my words, my actions. Lord, just for the one that's just right on with this today, Lord, give them strength to keep pressing on and moving forward. And all of us, give us strength together to press on and move forward for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we believe that your glory will cover the earth as the water covers the seas, and we want to be a part of that great work. And so, Lord, would you move amongst us now as we we finish our time together, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you stand, the altars are open for you to come and give your life to Christ. Um, The altars are open for you to come and just pray for others, to pray wherever you're at. But I encourage you to move to do that. These are significant times for us to lay things down, to drive stakes down in our hearts and lives. Sing with us now.